we are arriving closer and closer to the season of Easter. And you've heard a few of our different announcements about what we're doing over the Easter season. So I just want to highlight those for you once again. April 6th and 7th, we have our Easter musical, something we're just thrilled about and excited about, a way where we can share the gospel story uh, in a new and sort of engaging way. And so uh, you'll be, stay tuned for those uh, different things, and I hope you can attend uh, the, the musical on any one of those or both of those specific nights. Uh, we'll also uh, obviously have a, a Palm Sunday service on the next Sunday uh, morning, but uh, we'll have a Good Friday service as well at 7 o'clock where we'll celebrate Good Friday together. And then on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, we'll have three services, 8 o'clock, 9.30, and 11. And that also is going to be a Baptism Sunday if you haven't heard us talk about that yet. If you're interested at all about baptism and you really sense that God is doing something new in your heart and your life, I would love to talk to you about that. And so there's a sign up there at the table out there in the lobby, and it's just you're signing your name just to have a conversation if you're interested at all. You're not signing on the bottom line, but I'd love to talk to you more about that. So we are very excited as we ramp up to the season of, of Easter. And we've been doing that on Sundays through a series called The Insanity Loop. And it's based off of that sort of common phrase where we say the definition of insanity is doing the th same things over and over again and expecting different results. And each week we've hopefully offered you some tools, some ideas about how to break out of that insanity loop to draw closer to Christ as we near the, the season of, of Easter and Resurrection Sunday. The first Sunday, uh, I talked about prayer as a practice, and hopefully that was uh, both uh, challenging and engaging for you. Last week, Pastor Steve talked about the, the practices or disciplines of poverty, where we take on a deliberate scarcity in order to remind our spirits to draw closer to God, that God is who we truly need. And so today I want to talk to you a little bit about the practices or disciplines of the mind that we're calling the practices of pondering. Practices of pondering. Now, I want to start with something that's really obvious and kind of goes with the territory that we all really know and we understand, which is that when we talk about disciplines, when we talk about practices, they're always e easier said than done, are they not? I mean, think about your New Year's resolutions. We set them, we write them down, we're determined, we're hopeful. And then, you know, in the course of a few weeks, your treadmill's sitting there collecting dust with clothes laying on them, right? It's always easier said than done. Do you guys remember last week, and some of you may not have been here, but Pastor Steve announced his Lenten discipline or practice that he was not going to listen to sports talk radio. Do you remember this? What a week to choose that one, eh? Wow. And I've been catching Pastor Steve up with things, and many of you know, and some of you might not know, but I'm stealing this from the internet, but over the last week, the Cleveland Browns became the NFL version of the Avengers. I mean, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited about uh, what's going to happen there. And so I checked in with Pastor Steve. He's a disciplined man, folks. He is a good example, something to look up to. He has stayed pure. He has... He has really removed himself from the sports talk radio. And, of course, Pastor Jim and I fill him in with all of the details and, and, and all of that. But uh, it's, been, it's been a, a good, fun uh, example uh, for that. Uh, but it highlights that there's a big difference between what we can do and what we will do. I mean, 
by and large, we set a goal or New Year's resolution or we determine that we're going to take up a spiritual practice because we think we can do it. But that's a different thing altogether than if we will do it. If we will do it. Um, I've done a lot of different <laughs> spiritual practices and Lenten practices over the years. Um, I like to try to find fun ones that are really great ideas, really great concepts, but actually doing them creates all kinds of problems. So one particular year I decided that I was going to take only public transportation for the 40 days leading up to Easter, which made me chronically late for everything and drove my wife crazy because I was always always late, even though I learned a few things. But man, it was, it was tough at times. There was another time where uh, in solidarity to my friends uh, in, in the country of Haiti, I, I lived in Haiti as a missionary for several years, in solidarity of them for 40 days, I ate nothing but rice and beans for dinner. Now that, you know, sounds like a great idea, great spiritual practice, but actually doing, doing that and, you know, gathering together with my family for dinner, it's a little bit easier said uh, than, than done. And so all of this difficulty, the struggle, the crisis of these disciplines and these practices, and, and they are difficult, right? I mean, that's why we call them disciplines. They're not easy. They're difficult. But the crisis that we have in these, like if we're fasting, really has nothing to do with our stomachs, does it? If we're going to take up exercise, it really has less to do with our calves and our thighs the battle that we have, the struggle that we have, the thing that we wrestle over is everything that's going on up here. It's when I set the treadmill for 30 minutes and at 20 minutes I'm like, oh, I can walk the rest of the way. It's all about the mind. The mind is a really powerful thing and you guys all know this, but we can't live without the mind. The mind directs everything. It even begins with the, the autonomic nervous system. The mind directs all the things that we don't think about, we just do naturally, like taking a breath or swallowing our food or our digestive system doing its work. I don't need to go into any further details. It begins with that, but all of our senses, our five senses, how we experience the world, our mind controls those things too. And all of our thoughts, our beliefs, our, our values, the things that we hold, the things that we even believe and say and hear, all of that is directed by the mind. The mind is a very powerful thing. And God designed it that way. God designed it and is, has careful concern over the mind and how the mind directs our lives and our faith and, and how we see things. It's really at the heart of God, and I use that, that term on purpose because the ancient Hebrew word for mind was also the same word for heart. And in our modern day, we like to separate those two things. Well, it's really a heart decision or it's a, it's a mind decision. We separate emotions from analytics, and, and we, we separate those two things. But in the, ancient, in the ancient Hebrews, they understood something, that all of it is really the mind. It all really just goes together how we think, how we believe, how we live our lives, all of it is, is really up here. And you know that it's not your literal heart, right, when we talk about our, our heart. <laughs> it's the mind. It's the mind going through different thoughts and emotions and feelings and 
All those different things, God designed it, and so he has particular care and concern for the mind. When we talk about faith, we're not asking you to check your mind at the door. Our mind is critically important when it comes to our relationship with God. And Paul knew this, and I'm going to be reading through uh, Romans chapter 8 if you want to follow along. And many of you brought your Bibles, and there's one right there in front of you as well if you want to turn to Romans chapter 8. I'll be going through verses 1 through 6 specifically. And Paul makes this connection. He's writing a letter to the community in, in Roman in Rome, Romans, in Rome. He's writing to this community and he's making this connection that as the mind goes, so goes your life. He has this sort of redundant phrase that he has here in in these verses. For those who live, set their minds. And he says it again. For those who live, set their minds. And he's drawing this connection that as our mind goes, So goes our actions, our behaviors, our lives. We live our lives according to what we put our mind to. It's kind of like that phrase we say, you know, maybe our parents told us when we were young, you can do anything you put your mind to. Well, what Paul's saying is, no, you will. You will do that. Whatever we put our minds to, whatever we apply our thinking and our minds to, those are the things that we do. Actions follow our minds. And out of that comes a concern. Out of that comes a warning from the Apostle Paul in his letter to the believers in Rome. Because he he has a concern for if we set our mind to the thing, what he calls the things of the flesh. Now the flesh, this Greek word is sarx, and it really means sort of these carnal impulses, these natural carnal uh, impulses that that we all have, how we hunger, how we thirst, how we have a variety of different urges that, that cause us to do a, a variety of different things. It, it's, it's very natural, but it's also very fragile and prone to abuse. And many of us know about those sorts of things. Setting our minds to the flesh really works, I think, in two specific ways. The first is is impulse, and the second is is ignorance. And when it comes to impulse, these are the things that we do really without thinking about them. We act on impulse. We think or we feel them, and we just sort of do it. Like me, my, my, my mouth goes before my brain sometimes, and I don't think before I open my mouth. It's a problem. I'm confessing this to you right now. It's those impulses, those urges, those things that we just do without thinking and we just sort of let our brains do the acting uh, for us. The problem is, though, that every single impulse that you have is temporary. Every single impulse who wants you to fulfill that will ultimately become unsatisfied. You might be able to satisfy it for a second, but you're always going to need another meal. You're always going to take another breath. You're always going to have that returning urge or desire. Those things that may be natural, they are temporary. They are fleeting. They were ultimately will not fulfill what you are ultimately looking for. And in this, it can sort of become its own insanity loop. 
If we build a life and we order a life around just simply fulfilling these urges, these desires, these impulses, we can go after it and we'll be left empty. We can go after it to fulfill and then we'll be left empty again. We can try to fulfill and we'll be left empty again. And it's sometimes for us a vicious cycle, an insanity loop that if we're finally coming to the place where we can consider, we might say, you know, this isn't exactly working for me uh, anymore. I've ministered to so many people who could testify to this. They, they come and say, you know, I've got this emptiness inside of me that I, I just can't fill it with the things that I've been filling it with. I can't fill this void in my heart. I can't fill this, this hole in my spirit. I just, there's something missing here. And everything that I've done and used to fill that hole has ultimately come up empty. This is why Paul says, in verse 6, he says, to set the mind on the flesh is death. It's death. It's fleeting. It will not satisfy. It will ultimately not leave you fulfilled in the way that you think that it will. So then he offers an alternative. He says, instead of setting the mind on the things of the flesh to leave it on the spirit. First, there's impulse where we are thoughtless before an action or behavior, and then there is, there's ignorance where we don't check ourselves, where we don't evaluate, we don't think critically, we don't repent, we are not mindful of our ways. And whether it's impulse or ignorance causes us to keep going through the cycle over and and over again. But the alternative that he offers is setting the mind to the spirit. He says where where setting the mind to the flesh is death, he says in Romans 8, 6, but to set the mind on the spirit, where to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit, and that's a capital S, which means it's the spirit of God. To set our minds on the spirit of God is life and is peace, and not just the life that orders like just to be alive, like to breathe or to just stay surviving, but true life, true fulfillment, true peace. This is the result of setting our minds on on the spirit. So where we once had impulse, we now exercise self-control as our minds are in the spirit. Where we had ignorance, now we have correction. Where before it was temporal, now we have a life. We set our minds on the things that are eternal. And it leads us to, 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 to look around at our lives and say, even despite the circumstance, to say, it is well within me. It is well with my soul. Or to look around in the world and to see God working and to see God's presence working that other people may not see and to say, behold, look at that. Look at God working in those ways. Paul later says in chapter 12, verse 2, he says, don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your minds 
so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God's desire is to work with our minds, to shape and to mold our minds and our thinking, to help us inspect and be mindful of our ways and to repent where, we, where it's revealed that we have gone off course. And we can't do that if we're living setting our minds to ourselves. It only happens when we give over our minds to the Spirit to offer correction, rebuke, encouragement, guidance. We have to let God get in there and work on us, work on our minds. And so I wonder, reading that in Romans 12, I I wonder when it got so popular for Christians to be so set in their ways. I wonder when it just sort of became the standard thing where we as believers and followers of Jesus are set in our ways, not open to how God might be teaching and correcting and working with our minds. I once had some question marks about a social topic. It was the role of women in the church and in leadership. I had a question mark about that. I was looking through and I I saw some scriptures that were saying that that wasn't really appropriate, but then I also saw other scriptures where they not only sort of exampled how women were in leadership and they even celebrated that. And I thought, wow, that's kind of an interesting thing. I would like to look into that. And I shared that with some friends. And you would have thought, just simply asking the question... Just simply investigating, just simply being open to looking into something like this was a heresy within itself. And it sparked a little bit of debate, not on the issue at hand, but on how it's so unquestionable. And so a friend of mine ended up getting frustrated and said, well, I know how God feels about it. (laughs) Has that become our posture these days? Has that become our disposition towards people with whom we we disagree, that instead of understanding what we believe and why we believe it, we just get in a huff and say, well, I know how God thinks about this. It's not very, very humble, and it's certainly not a position of openness for God to continue to teach and and mold and, and shape our minds. We've gotten into this habit of looking for what's called confirmation bias. Have you heard about this? It describes a setting much like this, where Pastor Steve and I would be up here and we'd be preaching and giving a message, and you'd be there, you'd be listening to us, and I think that's just an amazing God thing that you would sit there and you'd listen to me babble on. But a lot of, and I do this too, but, but a lot of us have gotten in this habit of listening for the things that we already believe <laughs> or, or, and looking for the things that would only confirm what we've already decided. And we've gone about, this is how we practice our faith. We, we find these churches and we look for these places and we, we look for that confirmation of things that we've already decided to be true. And we leave ourselves unopen to how God might be challenging us, our thinking, our ways, and asking God to truly shape our thoughts and our beliefs and to show us more about who he is and what he cares about in this world. 
confirmation bias. We have to, as people, followers of Jesus, we have to be open to set our minds on the things of the Spirit, to allow the Spirit of God to trust that the Spirit of God is there to teach and correct and rebuke us and guide us. And if we trust that, we would be open to what the Spirit would say and to how the Spirit would, would guide us. So I'd like to offer uh, three examples of how we can do that, how we can present ourselves to God as open to the guiding and to the leading of the Spirit. So uh, the first that I'd like to offer you is study. Study. Now you could study lots of different things, but might I make a recommendation? Uh, it's, it's interesting. Uh, people approach the Bible in lots of different ways. You know, non-Christians read the Bible at times, and, and they have their own approach to, to reading this. And, and all kinds of different Christians, uh, sisters and brothers in, in the faith, they have their, their different ways of, of approaching this. And in our church, we, um, as a way of approaching the Bible, and sort of right off the bat claiming that this, this book has some authority over us, that that the message is there that has authority. It, 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 God speaks through it to, to help mold and shape our, our thoughts and our, and our lives. We, we use a word to describe that, which is uh, infallible. And what that simply means is that the Bible is unfailing in all that it intends to teach. And if I could boil down all that it intends to teach, it really is three things. It teaches us who God is. What's God, God's character, God's concern? It teaches us about ourselves, the human condition. We could read this book and say, oh boy, man, I see a lot of myself in that Pharisee. <laughs> and what this relationship with God looks like. How are we to live out, how are we to have faith in God? How are we to be in covenant with God and relationship with God? And how are we to, to live that out? Those are the three main concerns of this book. But it requires... Because it's so valuable, because it speaks truth to us, it requires um, the kind of attentiveness that we would expect from anything that would be valuable or authoritative. I see the Bible a lot like scuba diving. You know, we could probably try to make some guesses here and there about what we think we might see lurking below the surface from, from on top of the boat, but you, you never really get that good of a glance as you do when you're in, in the water yourself, diving deep into it to discover what, what's really there. What is it really saying? What's the truth that God is actually revealing to us? And so I just urge you to be bold and courageous enough to dive deep into this book, to let it really teach you, not to approach it with, well, this is what I already think, so I'm going to leaf through the scriptures to confirm what I already believe, but to really dive deep. Now, part of that requires you to look at the context, to look at what's really happening, what the inspired author in that day is actually really, really saying, and to ask critical questions, the who, what, why, when, how kind of questions, to understand what is happening then, how did God speak to them before God, how God speaks to us. One of my favorite authors, Gordon Fee, in his book, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, it's a, based off a class that, um, actually, I have a class based off of the book that I teach here in, 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 in Friends. He has a great quote. He says, don't be a monkey see, monkey do reader of the Bible. Don't flatten it as if there are no other 
layers to that. You see, it was God's word to them before it's God's word to us. And it's important and valuable enough to dive deep, to ask questions, to tease it around a little bit, so that through that process of study, God would truly speak. And when you do that, you realize that your bumper sticker is falling short. Or you really can't fit all of it in a single tweet. It's that nugget of wisdom and, and treasure that's so valuable that it's worth studying for and asking questions about to see how God might, might speak to us. Now, you can study all kinds of other things as well. And actually, that's my Lenten discipline. I'm making an announcement. That's my Lenten discipline for, uh, for this time leading up to, to Easter. I'm dedicating myself to the practice of study. And usually when I go home by myself, I'm emptying my mind, trying to look for mindless things to do. But for this time, I'm, I'm taking up study. I'm specifically looking at a, a social issue that um, people wrestle over and even Christians wrestle over. And I realized that um, it's been a while since I've looked into this sort of thing. And um, those are old. I, I can't rest on what I decided so long ago. And I need to reopen myself to, to study and to hear God speak and to understand what I believe and, and why I believe it. And guess what? In the course of that study, I didn't order books that I already knew that I was going to agree with the author. No, I, I ordered books that, at least currently, I disagree with the author. I want to consider the arguments and consider uh, what's being said and ask God to guide and to speak into my heart and to understand that that's what the Spirit's there to do, is to help guide and correct and, and teach about who God is and what God cares about. So that's one study. Another one is meditation. And meditation can come at a difficulty for many of us because it does require a little bit of quiet. It does require a little bit of time to carve out in your day. I've shared this before, but I was once on a backpacking trip with my friend who probably got sick of me talking to him and said, okay, we're going to have some silent time. <laughs> and we were already at our campsite, and he said, let's just take a couple hours to ourselves and meditate. So I found a nice little rock on the... On the, on the riverbed, and I sat down, and I started to, okay, meditate, meditate. I'm going to meditate. What am I going to meditate on? And I realized that there was this flurry of thoughts just racing through my mind. It took 45 minutes for my mind to finally clear itself, and I truly felt the peace of God come over me, and I could just rest in his presence. 45 minutes. It makes me wonder what kind of junk was all up there just... And that, I bet you you can identify with that. But it's worth it. It's totally worth it. Uh, Paul says in Philippians 4, 8, he says, finally, finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there are, is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Isn't it interesting? He didn't say go live them out. He says, think about it. Think on these things. Meditate. Reflect on them. Let them settle within your minds. And finally, one that I'll offer to you, and one that I had not considered before, is guidance. Guidance. It's not really a, a discipline or practice that we often think about. Um, and 
I actually got the idea from, from this book. This is a classic book, The Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. And so many people came up after the first sermon and said, what book is that? It's Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. It's a classic. And in that, he offers a discipline of guidance, which I thought was really interesting. And it speaks about individual guidance, the practice of paying attention to our dreams, paying attention to visions we might have, paying attention to signs that God might be offering as he speaks to us and guides us and, and directs us, but also talks about corporate guidance, seeking guidance in the community of faith. Now, some people, and maybe this is some of you, have a spiritual director that you meet with on a regular basis to give you the tools and to equip you to hear God's voice so that you then know how are you to follow God's directive for you and, and for your life. Others of you meet with mentors, and we've kind of realized that this is a critical part in the journey of faith. And so we started not too long ago, and we're still developing a, a program here called Mentoring Circles, where we get people together, a small handful of people together, to meet with a mentor and to go through a curriculum. And it begins with the assumption that you're already a Christian, but you're struggling with how to follow Jesus. You know about Jesus, you're struggling with how to follow Jesus and what that looks like. And so we started that as well. Because guidance, God is there to offer guidance to us. So there you have it. Study, meditation, guidance, just three examples, but all of them hinge on that one thing. Are you going to let God, are you going to let the Spirit of God mold and shape your mind? Or have we become a people simply stuck and set in our ways? My invitation to you is to allow the Spirit to do that, just that and to trust that God knows what God is doing and to be unafraid of what he might say, what he might share, what he might reveal to us. That's his desire. As a matter of practice, I'd like to offer us a, a small exercise in our remaining time here together. Um, in just a minute, we'll have a scripture on the screen. And it's a scripture, you don't know where it comes from. It's going to have a reference there, but I'm not going to tell you what scripture it is. It's just going to pop up on the screen. There's going to be music in the background. And what I'd like you to do is take a couple minutes and let the scripture, con let yourself consume the text. Read through it. If you read fast, read through it again. If there's a word or a phrase that pops out at you, linger on that, think on that, consider it. What it's saying and specifically what it might be saying to you. Let yourself ask a few questions. Let yourself tease around different words or, or phrases. And I think in the midst of that, God will say something to you. It's a practice that gives you a little bit of a taste for what you can do on your own as you live out your relationship with God. So let's just take this time to hear from the Lord as he presents his word to us. Let's spend time with God.
So as people of God, as you go, go with an open mind and the trust that as we set our minds on the things of the Spirit, He will mold and shape, guide and correct, reveal to us His presence and His goodness. So go with that open mind as God continues to lead you. In His good name, amen. You're dismissed.